without taking too much time out of the presentation, let me go ahead and introduce the three guest speakers that will be speaking today. Reading from alphabetical order, uh, Dr. Rhonda Dugan is an associate professor of, CS of sociology at CSUB, where she has been a faculty member since 2005. Dr. Dugan graduated with a BA and MA in sociology from Illinois State University and earned her PhD in sociology from the University of Illinois, Chicago. Broadly, her teaching and research interests focus on race and racial dynamics, black identity, culture, popular culture, and research methodology with emphasis on qualitative research, research methods. Dr. Dugan enjoys mentoring students completing their independent research projects and currently serves as, serves as advisor for two CSUB student clubs, the Sociology Club and the Campus Gamers. Dr. Dugan was the recipient also of the CSUB Millie Ablin Excellence in Teaching Award for the 2019 and 2020 academic year. Next, we have Dr. Tracy Salisbury. Dr. Salisbury is an assistant professor of interdisciplinary studies at CSUB where she has been a faculty member since 2017. Dr. Salisbury graduated with a BA in political science from Holy Cross College and MA in sports administration from Central Michigan University and earned her PhD in kinesiology from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Dr. Salisbury teaches across three different disciplines, black studies, women's studies, and kinesiology. Her her research interests are Black feminism, Black pop popular culture, sports history, and the American Civil War. She is a hardcore film buff and comic book nerd with a mad love for all things Green Lantern, the Dora Milliger, and the Punisher. Our third speaker is Dr. David Sandals. Dr. Sandals received his EDD in educational leadership from Fresno State University in 2013. His research interests include early literacy development among underserved populations, black male teacher recruitment, retention and efficacy, and creating equitable structures within classroom context. To effectuate change in each of these areas, he believes the interrelationship between research-based instructional practices and equity-oriented paradigms are paramount inclusions. Please help me in welcoming our three wonderful speakers for today. Okay, I think that means I'm up. And so I'm just going to start. Um, good afternoon. And I want to thank everyone for being here. Happy Black History Month as we celebrate Blackness this month. My name is Dr. David Sandals. As Mike said, thank you for that great introduction, Mike. Um, I'm going to be offering you what I consider to be an insufficient um, tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman. Before I get there, could I please have the, the ability to share my screen? Thank you. Yeah, so again, I'm gonna be offering you this insufficient tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman. And I, and I call it insufficient because 
there's no way that a 10 minute presentation can really capture the complexity, uh, the mastery of this, this wonderful man. However, I, I wanna give it an earnest attempt. So bear with me. So as you all know, Chadwick Bozeman was a beautiful man. Beautiful physically, beautiful um, internally. And he offered the world this glimpse of black beauty and black excellence. He also offered us a sincere commitment to craft. He was devoted to his craft as an artist, as a producer, as a director and so forth. But one of the things that's often lost about him is his legendary humility. And so as a consequence of that, sometimes people regard him as haughty. I was reading something here lately that talked about how he was, um, he was, he wasn't humble. Like for, better, for lack of a better word. But what we know, according to those who know him, is that his humility rivaled the, the, the rivaled really the best we've ever seen. We also know that the world knows Chadwick Boseman largely because of his depiction of Black Panther. So the Black Panther, for those who don't know, is a comic book creation and started in 1966. And Chadwick Boseman, of course, brought him to life in 2018, actually originally in 2016, but 2018 with his movie, The Black Panther. So this is how the world primarily knows him. But what the world again doesn't know is that he was, he was so many other things, so many complex things. I will give credit though to Boseman and to Marvel Studios by saying that Boseman was the lead character in a movie that grossed over a billion dollars. And very few movies have ever done that. In fact, Black Panther, the movie, was the 13th highest grossing movie of all time, which puts it in this pantheon great um, in terms of movies. So he was an amazing actor. We know that. But I want to challenge everyone to go deeper when it comes to thinking about Chadwick Boseman because he was so much more than just the Black Panther. To start out, Chadwick Boseman always knew he wanted to be in film. He knew early on he wanted to be invested in film. And so he, he pursued and ultimately received his BFA, his Bachelor's in Fine Arts, from Howard University in the year 2000. All good. Bozeman was also a director. He was a director and a producer. In fact, he acted in and produced 21 Bridges um, as a as a director, producer rather, he also he also directed a couple of movies. He directed a movie entitled Blood Over Broken Pine, and he directed a movie called Heaven. He was also a philanthropist, something that people often don't speak about. Um, Bozeman was someone who was committed to the challenge of connecting with people who were afflicted with ailments. He understood intimately, privately. Of course, he didn't reveal this to the world, but he understood privately and intimately the challenges that people who were afflicted with cancer and other such ailments endured. Additionally, the man donated millions of his own money, millions of dollars of his own money for, to worthy causes, including cancer research, among others. So he was incredibly philanthropic. We all know him, him as an actor. We know him as the Black Panther, but he served in many other roles as well. And I only highlighted a few here, but I'll tell you, my favorite role of his outside of Black Panther was something that very few people know about. He was a lesser known character in a series called Lincoln Heights. 
He was a character named Nate Ray in that series. And that was my all time favorite. He was a long lost son, long lost brother. And he just, he played it to the hilt. And when he was cast as Black Panther, I said to my wife, there's no way that guy can pull that off. Nate Ray, he can't do that because I knew him as the Lincoln Heights actor. But of course, we all know what he did in history's, history's written. The man was an iconic um, assimilationist in the sense that he could become characters and biopics. He became that character. So we all know, or many of you know, that he played Jackie, Ro Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. But I submit to you that he became Jackie Robinson. He didn't just play a character. This was who we knew Jackie Robinson to be. This was the modern representation. We would see him in films or videos, rather Jackie Robinson that is, at least I would, I would actually see Chadwick Boseman and I would think that that's, that's the modern day representation. He would, the gesticulations, the way he spoke, he really captured that character. Similarly, he played the Egyptian god Thoth and God of War, gods of war, excuse me. And he was similarly excellent in that film. Again, absorbing himself in the nuance of the time and becoming, immersing myself in that character. Arguably his greatest feat was that of becoming Thurgood Marshall in the movie Thurgood. Thurgood Marshall, for those who don't know, was, um, he's a legendary attorney um, famed for advocating for integration in 1954 with the Brown v. Board of Education, among other things. So Chadwick Boseman is all of these things, but one thing I'll bet very few of you knows is that he was a comedian. And this is where people have that aha moment with respect to Chadwick Boseman. So take a listen as you, as you hear a snippet about some of his co comedic chops. All right, Chichala, the board is yours. I'm ready. Let's go to white people for 400. <laughs> Try it. Your friend Karen brings her potato salad to your cookout. Uh-oh, T'Challa. I think I'm getting it. Before I answer, a few questions. This woman, Karen, she is Caucasian, eh? And she has her own recipe for potato salad, eh? Yeah, yeah. Ah, I understand. It is noble that she would volunteer to cook for everyone. And although I have never had potato salad, of course, I sense that this white woman does not season her food. That's right. And, and if she does, it is only with a tiny bit of salt. That's exactly right. Yeah. And no paprika. No paprika, no. And she will probably add something unnecessary like raisins. I know, right? So something tells me that I should say. Say it! Oh, hell no, nah, Karen. <laughs> Keep your brand ass potato salad to yourself. So, so hopefully, hopefully that gives you some sense as to who he was as a comedian as well. Again, he depicted many different roles, many different uh, characters, and he virtually became them. Let me pull this back up. But that was certainly one of his more iconic roles, I would say. All right, T'Challa, the board is yours. I'm ready. 
Sorry, it was so good I wanted to watch it again. Sorry about that. So moving forward, some people argue that a person's legacy is dependent upon how many people remember them once they've passed. And, and I would argue that Chadwick Boseman's legacy is firmly entrenched and that he will be remembered in perpetuity, that people will always remember him for the iconic memories he left us. But more specifically, he captured the minds and hearts of people around the world. Children, adults alike, now have this conception that they too can be superheroic, just like the Black Panther, and that they can subsume themselves and become almost any other person given the proper amount of diligence and attention. I would also submit that Chadwick Boseman walked among kings and walked among other greats with equal humility. Again, I referenced his humility earlier, and I was aghast when I read that someone had, had put out the claim that he wasn't humble. His humility, in my opinion, is legendary. And to see him in interviews, you see a person who we know to be a star, but who acts as if he hasn't achieved anything. We also know that his memory will be memorialized in comics, in the minds and hearts of others, in film, and so forth. So here is a man, a complex man, who leaves us with this incredibly diverse tapestry, rife with his work, and we will miss him dearly. And I leave you, in part, I leave you with this quote, which comes from uh, Civil Wars. It's by the character T'Challa, whom um, Chadwick Boseman played, and it reads as follows. In my culture, death is not the end, it's more of a stepping off point. And so my hope is that um, we continue in his work, we continue to explore his work, we continue to reference his work, and we continue to develop ourselves and our individual industries with his spirit in mind. So with that, I'm going to pause and I'm going to stop sharing and defer to my next comrade. Thank you, Dr. Sandals. Um, I am... Uh going to build off some of the things that Dr. Sandals um, has shared. And if I had known we were going to put like specific things in bios, my whole bio would have been different. Um, I'm a cultural omnivore. I like DC and Marvel. So I, I'll take a little bit of both. Um, but what I want to share with you today, let me get my share screen set up, um, is uh, kind of expanding on the ideas uh, that Dr. Sandals has raised about um, the Black Panther, its impact, right, on popular culture, but also thinking of Black Panther in um, another dimension of Black popular culture, right, something that I'm, that Dr. Salisbury and Dr. Sandals and I are, are interested in. And it's funny, we were group texting last night and we geeked out in that 10-minute time period. So we had to scale it back. But I want to give some context and thinking about what is popular culture, right? And so, um, some ways to think about it is this, um, sociologist by the name of Dustin Kidd, um, the origins of popular culture is a way to sort of say, how is it different than high culture, right? Those sort of elite uh, class-based dimensions like classical works, um, uh, is it classical music, right? And then the masses, the rest of the people, they're doing things that are, so that are doing, they're doing things that are not necessarily of elite status, right? The, the rest of us, as I might say. 
Um, so there were this distinction that's very rooted in economics, right? And looking at class divisions and what did people do for cultural consumption, right? And even the idea that, you know, the working people don't have time to consume things, right? Because we're working and, and what that looks like. So that that culture, nevertheless, it comes from the people, it's of the people. But another aspect that's emerged as we, you know, all through the 20th century and, and now in the second decade of the 21st century is looking at the commercial aspects of popular culture, right? The industry, what's produced, as well as how audiences respond to what they see, all the various pop cultural forms or pop culture icons, right? So that's one aspect of popular culture. Um, in 2017, David Grazian, another sociologist who actually did his work in Chicago studying um, blues clubs, the, depending on the location, whether it's on the north side of Chicago, which is a little, little more um, where the white, white people will go to blues clubs and then the south side of Chicago, right? Sort of looking at authenticity of, of what's being created in pop culture. But in his work, um, he, he had a number of things to consider and what makes something popular in the first place, right? So we have this idea that creations are coming from the people. So now what is it coming from the people that makes it popular, right? So he has these characteristics, like in some cases, something can be well-liked, right? Um, and well-liked here, he argues, is a commercial success. So what Dr. Sandals was referencing in terms of Black Panther's, you know, gross domestic and international um, dollars earned, right, um, and revenue. So it's well-liked. It's in his argument here, well-liked is related to some type of metric, um, whether it's monetary or now thinking about social media, how many likes does somebody get, right? So that makes something popular. Um, another aspect, it's well known. How many people know about it? Who, you know, talk about it? Is it shared on media? Is it uh, something maybe not so well known? And what's interesting here is that something can be well known, but may not be well liked, right? So they're not necessarily the same. And that's an interesting dimension to think about. And in terms of thinking about Black Panther, there were these criticisms that were on you know, sites like Rotten Tomatoes and internet movie databases where people were basically hating on it, right? And giving intentional negative reviews that go to the first point to lower the numbers and ranking, which is an interesting dimension that seems to happen to a lot of, a lot of creations, particularly black uh, pop cultural creations. So I'll get a little more into that. Mass cultural production, right? So what's produced um, that people are buying objects? Is it an idea? Um, I'm going to show my what I bought when Black Panda came out. This is an object. I, it's outside this door. There's a whole shelf uh, bookcase of things that you know I wish I could share with you. But this could be a, something of mass cultural production, right? And it, it sits on that shelf outside this room that I'm in. So that could be popular. Mass culture. Um, thinking of the trivial aspects of it. Sometimes this might have a little bit of a negative connotation. But here's another. You know, similar to Kid belonging to the people, that's something that, for, you know, everybody connected to Black Panther, and I think it's one of the very few movies where everybody was excited to it, right, it's, see, see um, this movie, but also for Black people in particular in terms of representation, right, and seeing all these characters just doing things that maybe not always fit those stereotypical ideas, and then audience experience in real time, right, so uh, this is like tweeting live events or commenting in real time. Um, I remember like people in the movies tweet, you know, you see as it's happening, it's emerging. So these are all these things we think about in terms of pop culture, you know, icon and uh, pop culture uh, creations. And in thinking of Chadwick Boseman, you know, 
uh, he's very well known. He's a he's a popular icon um, in life and and in death, right? And I think that's why it impacted people so much um, in that regard. It was I remember where I was. I texted Dr. Salisbury. I'll be honest with you, I was in the line uh, picking up Popeye's chicken sandwich, and I couldn't believe it. Like I'm I'm getting food on a Friday night, and also it was my mo- my late mother's birthday. It was just it was a lot. So. Um, I remember the moment when the, when I heard the news that he had passed, um, and it's just kind of locked into memory. So very quickly, let's talk about Black popular culture, right? So we can think of of, of uh, Black popular in this larger, you know, dimension of everybody enjoying it. But what are some unique aspects that make some make popular culture a, a Black creation, right? In that regard, and so while Marvel may not have intended it to be that way, there are some aspects that you can consider. So Stuart Hall, um, who was one of the the greats in thinking about cultural studies, um, he was a a Jamaican-born British Marxist sociologist, um, had a really big impact in thinking about culture and not just in Britain, but in the Black diaspora, um, saying that Black repertoires, right, the performative spaces that through music, um, style, um, and representation through bod- body, the body, right, is sort of where we see Black cultural being and how we can nest it. And when I think of representation of the body, it makes me think about popping and locking and break dancing, right? So that might be just looking like moves, but there's something about that and tied to style and hip hop, right, as one example of those performative spaces. But one of the things that's most important to consider is that Saying black for black popular culture is not like an adjective, like, oh, it's popular, we just don't add black onto it. There's something uniquely different than, than thinking about just popular culture. And so Stuart Hall is making this argument that it's a space that can never be binary where it's elite and popular in the sense that everybody who's black can enjoy it, right? And that it's also a contradictory space and, and, and it accounts for differences and not just being black, but as a black woman, um, as a black transgender person, whatever that may be, right? And so it's an interesting way to think of something that's different than just saying popular culture. And I think Black Panther can, you know, go in both both camps. So very quickly, this makes me think about, and I want to talk about representation because I think that's really important. And so for me as a kid, I'm going to date myself. I'm a Gen Xer. Um, I didn't see the original series the first time, but when it was in reruns, I love Josie and the Pussycats. And in particular, I love Josie and the Pussycats because of Valerie Brown. I just thought she was the most amazing character, not only because she's in this cool outfit and, you know, plays the bass and she's on the tambourine, but also that she was really intelligent. She was solving the mysteries that the band was going on. And she was always when I just always thought that's fascinating. And as a kid, Seeing that, you know, I can I can do it retroactively and think about, wow, I know that had an impact. And so representation matters, right, in terms of, of Black popular culture and, and in popular culture. And just to note, she was the first Black regular character in Saturday morning cartoons. So those of us who grew up in Saturday morning cartoons know what that's all about, right? And so just to, to FYI, the first Black regular character was on the Hardy Boys in 1969. His name is Jones. So interesting with Valerie Brown, she almost didn't make it um, in the cartoon because Hanna-Barbera wanted to create a live action group, right, that would have been all white women. And so it went against this idea. So here's this space, right, um, where there's a a, a political struggle, a cultural struggle to make sure um, that, you know, Valerie 
would also be represented in real life, right? So it's an interesting thing to think of. I know she's not a superhero, but she was a superhero to me when I was a kid seeing her on the TV. Um, so let's talk about a contemporary situation about representation. I don't know how many of you know this, but um, about Ironheart and Ruby Williams, um, a young black girl, 15 year old from Chicago, who's this intelligent, smart um, girl. And she goes to MIT and she's creating things in her dorm room, right? And she even creates the Iron Man costume, right? And so while this was an important part in thinking about young girls like myself seeing Valerie Brown, one of the problems was that emerged was the representation as you see on the screen of how she looked and how she was dressed. Was it reinforcing the stereotype of a, a girl from Chicago and why is she looking sexualized, right? So there was a lot of criticism from the black community in terms of representation. And so um, in, in a couple years after the introduction of, of Riri, um, a revised storyline, including pictures, was done by sociologist Eve Ewing. So it's not lost on me that a sociologist is revising the storyline to, to put a, a better narrative out there. And even the representation of how Ironheart looks shifted to where she didn't look like a sexual, hypersexualized 15 year old. She looks like a regular kid who even went to Wakanda. I love this picture because she's kind of figuring out, like, what's going on here? But she, she's, she looks like a girl, right? And so those things are important. And, and it doesn't mean to take away from the fun aspect and enjoyment of popular culture, but representation matters, as we know. Um, and so to quickly finish up, so I give time to my, my, uh, my colleague, Dr. Salisbury, one last character that I'm interested to see the development of, um, of representation of, of not just pop culture, but black popular culture is uh, Monica Rambeau. This is where Dr. Sandals and I geeked out and, and, and Dr. Salisbury busted, busted us out on the group chat. Um, this is Dr. Sal, uh, Dr. Sandals, one of his favorite characters, but um, Monica Rambeau, um, Photon, Pulsar, <laughs> she went through a lot of names, but also, became part of the Avengers, right? And so I mentioned Monica Rambeau because now if you're paying attention to WandaVision on Disney Plus, um, we see her coming this character and I'm interested to see what we see on, right? There's so many variations, but her first appearance was in Amazing Spider-Man who um, she that line in the comic, she goes to what they call extra dimensional energy, and she's able to change in all these different shapes and forms, right? And so in the MCU right now, she's an agent following in her mother's footsteps. Maria Rambo, if you watch the Captain Marvel movie, is Monica's mom, right? So I'm interested in looking at this legacy as well. I lost there, but I'm back. So um, let me, I'll just finish up there um, and, uh, you know, sort of, can you all hear me? Yes, okay. So just to finish up, I won't go back into the share screen, but just to sort of think of these, you know, ideas of representation and how that's playing out in one little area of, of comics, 
um, whether it's in, you know, in your hand or if you're watching it, you know, as part of Marvel. And I know I've left out DC, but I, I would have been talking forever. So I, I honed in on Marvel aspects. Um, but I will now turn it over um, to uh, my colleague, Dr. Salisbury. So thank you all. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm gonna share my screen as well. All right, can everyone hear me? Yes. Yes, okay, good. Yes. All right, um, I'm gonna take some of you younger people back in a time machine. I'm a Gen X hip hop generation individual as well. And so for you millennials that see all kinds of opportunities and different characters and this type of thing, um, I grew up as a kid where these, these characters didn't exist. There wasn't a thing as a black superhero. Um, there wasn't a thing as a black female superhero to me at all. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in an age where we grew, got up on Saturday mornings and you watch Saturday morning cartoons, then you watch Kung Fu theater, and then you went outside to play. And then people had to pick a character. Well, you know, boys, it was easy. They could be Superman, they could be Batman, they could be Aquaman, they could be all these things. And if a girl tried to be any of these, they'd be like, no, it says man, you're not a man. So you couldn't be those things. And so most girls were stuck with either Batgirl or Wonder Woman. Well, I hated both of those. Okay, they were horrible. I thought their outfits were terrible. I thought the only thing that was cool about them uh, was the fact that you know, Batgirl had this cool motorcycle and Wonder Woman had this uh, uh, see-through invisible plane. And then she could do that golden lasso thing and, to, and get people to tell the truth. I was like, that's not fighting. That's that's not doing nothing. And on top of it, I was, I was an early militant child from the beginning days. They were white. I didn't want to be that, you know. And so how I got over was I fell in love with Green Lantern because Green Lantern came from the universe. And they would say, well, Green Lantern's a man. You don't know if there's any Green Lantern women. And I said, and you don't know if there isn't. And so they would have to take it. And so Green Lantern became my thing because the Green Lantern was a character of great imagination and intellect. And so he could do anything and create anything with his magic power ring. And so I thought that would be the best thing. And that used to frustrate everyone around me because when they think they got me, I could come up with something to get away from you. So it's with great excitement that in the 21st century, there's now finally the first black female Green Lantern. And this is Sojourner uh, Moulin, uh, who will be getting her own feature 12 issues um, uh, graphic novel coming this fall. Um, and I'm beside myself with excitement. The importance and the power of representation, particularly at a young age for children is everything. It's everything. It means who you are. It means where your space and place in the world is and your chance to imagine that you are a part of something. It is a great thing in the 21st century that young children are allowed to imagine that they can be Harry Potter, Harry Potter, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, that you can be a wizard or you can be Hermione because there's, there's a growth to those characters that is, allows you to have a kind of imagination that I envy for young kids now. But the, it's when they say that the politics is personal and personal is politics, they really mean it in terms of representation. You have to see yourself to imagine yourself. 
Okay. Oh, my personal to go following my uh, colleague, Dr. Sandals. I love Shuri. She, she is just my absolute favorite. And, uh, and I am looking forward to, and I'm hoping with everything that with the loss of Chadwick Boseman and Disney's and Marvel's uh, respect to Chadwick Boseman, that he will not be recast, that they will let uh, Shuri be the next Black Panther as it is in the storyline. They might have to make some modifications, but I hope they do that because that will be a major, major shift in terms of the comic book universe. But I want to show you a little short clip about what representation means in terms of how makes something sit up and move. Uh, this character is in uh, Captain America Civil War, is a member of the Dora Milaje, um, and it's just a short clip, but it made me sit up and pay attention. And I was with a group of, of my sisters when we saw this, and we were all like, who's that? What's that? This is why. And I'm going to let you watch it and, and see why it's uh, important. It's just a matter of time. Our satellites are running facial, biometric, and behavioral pattern scans. Move, or you will be moved. As entertaining as that would be. You really think you can find him? My resources are considerable. Yeah, it took the world 70 years to find Barma, so you could probably do that about half the time. You know where they are. I know someone who does. Woo, I'm, I'm with Dr. Settles. That's so good. I like to watch it twice. Um, let's see if it'll let me escape. Um, that phrasing of move or you will be moved is just extremely powerful. But the other thing is, is this here's this tall, statuesque, dark-skinned Black woman who is never the kind of hero presented in movies or television who walks right in and tells Black Widow, who is the badass of female superheroes, move or you will be moved. I don't care who you are. That is a, a leveling of a power dynamic that has never been seen in film. Um, it's extremely powerful. It's extremely sexy. It's uh, watching the bemused look on Chadwick Boseman's face of going, you know, as interesting as this would be, you know, we don't really, we're trying to save the world right now. We don't have time for this, but it's an establishment that black women too can be dominant. They can be fearless and they don't have to be scary. She's not angry. She's quite under control and calm. And so it's just such a powerful, just impact situation. So this is a big one for me. Now, moving on. All right. When I was a kid growing up, just like Dr. Dugan talks about Josie and the Pussycats, first Black woman I ever remember seeing on television um, was Eartha Kitt as Catwoman. And I had no idea that this show had been long canceled by the time I was watching it, but we were watching reruns. Um, not only was Eartha Kitt uh, gorgeous, she had a wonderful uh, sound of, of voice. She had this purring, um, husky voice. Uh, she was dangerous. Uh, she fended for herself. Uh, she was a great villain, duplicitous. Um, she had a, a sexual chemistry with Batman that was clearly obvious. Um, you know, this was something you had, I, I don't recall seeing on TV at all. 
And uh, I remember being rather hurt to find out this was the final season of Batman, which was not a hit actually when it first came out. It was actually a, a failure. Um, and this, she was only on one season, but we watched these over and over and over again. And um, Eartha Kitt laid the foundation for future presentations of black women in comic book superhero things. Now, as Dr. Dugan said correctly, there is some stereotypes with sexualizing black women in the history that goes with sexualizing black women. But when we do put it into context, it's a lovely thing to see. And she was representative in terms of opening doors for the future. Now, Halle Berry has played Catwoman. Uh, there's been a moving on. It's breaking down a racial barrier that there's, there's no argument that Black women can't be sexy. Black women can't do action. Black women can't do both together at the same time. Uh, that there is no chemistry if you put them with someone of another race or if you put them together with uh, two Black people together, two superheroes in one movie. So this is the importance and power of what Eartha Kitt brings to the screen um, in Catwoman. Now, my personal, personal favorite in terms of the comics is Martha Washington. Uh, this is vintage for you young people. It's Give Me Liberty. Um, uh, it's a 16-year-old young Black girl who grows up in the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago, which no longer exists, were torn down, but they were some of the most dangerous uh, projects in the, in, the, in, the, in the United States in the 1990s. Um, and she becomes the future of the world. And we travel with her from the time she's 16 to when she's well over 100 years old and how she saves the world. And being uniquely named after Martha Washington, the first first lady of, of, of America, uh, is a play on what the future could be, who represents the world, and who will fight to keep the world together. And it's not only a great uh, superhero comic battle, but it is a magnificent science fiction battle of the future, raising ideas raised by the great science fiction author, Octavia Butler, um, you know, uh, N.K. Jameson. It brings in these ideals that Black women are present. We're going to be a part of the future. We're going to play a significant role in the future. Um, and then action figures. Martha Washington was actually the first action figure I ever saw. Uh, she remains, as far as I know, uh, Dr. Sandals may know better, the only action figure I know with cornrows. And I wore my hair in cornrows for a very long time. So this was the biggest, neatest thing. I think I'm about, um, I've actually got both sets of these. I think I've got about six of them. And so it's just because I'm like, you know, I might break this because I have to take it out of the box. I'm, I'm not one of these nerds. I want to touch it. So it's, it's, it's this thing of being included. It's being a part of a system that excluded you. One of the things is to talk about diversity. The other thing is action. You don't want to do diversity theater. You want to do diversity action. So having the action figures, having the actual comic books, and what I hope one day will be a Martha Washington film or TV series, that will be diversity. Okay. The neat thing is that Frank Miller actually created uh, Give Me Liberty and the Martha Washington character because DC would not approve doing this comic. They were worried about the numbers and about who was going to buy it. And he got very angry and he chose to do this independently and launched Dark Horse Comics with it. And it became a runaway success. So, you know, the other thing is you have to be brave enough to try. 
You have to be brave enough to believe that there is an audience out there. As Dr. Dugan said, that it's more than just adding black popular culture. It's the fact that you believe that there is a reading audience. Black women are the number one readers and buyers of literature in this country, have always been. Okay, because the reading and the word in the black community is an extremely important opportunity. So this kind of thing that translates to comics is the same thing with imaging. Okay. All right. Now let me move on quickly. Where are we in the future? The Dora Milaje. Uh, why do we love the Dora Milaje from the Black Panther? Um, not only because they are fierce on screen, they are warriors, uh, they are uh, uh, freedom fighters. Uh, they are uh, the protectors of the king. Um, they don't put up with anything. Uh, they're based on real life women. And they're based on the Dahomey Amazon warriors of the Dahomey tribe from 1600 to 1800. Um, they guarded the king. They didn't marry uh, because their, their jobs were to protect the realm. Um, they were true warriors. And so this reminds us and gives us an opportunity to, to go back to our history, to go back to the fact that uh, there has always been some form of equality uh, in the uh, peoples of African descent, that you know, black women have always served and nurtured. So there's two roles, a dual role that we play. And so it is ridiculous for you to say there isn't a history to call upon to do comics. Most hit comics come from a history and an imagination. And so the Dahomey warriors gave birth to the Dora Milaje. Now, because I want to leave time for questions. The future is bright. Okay. We've got a, a standard, uh, a, a steady group of comics being done. Roxanne Gay did the world of Wakandia. As I said, Far Sector's coming out with Sojourner Moline's first series. N.K. Jameson and uh, 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 Nettie Okafor are working on a Shuri series. So there is, there's a regular comic book series. There's a regular audience now demanding this. So it's gonna be hard to go back. And this should open the door to representations, which they are. There's now a Muslim female superhero. There's several Latinx female superheroes. So we're actually opening a door so that everybody can be present. And then lastly, we're hoping to see some movies. There's a lot of talk about doing a film on Wonder Woman's sister. Most people may not know this on Nubia. Um, I would be interested to see that movie. Uh, there's also talks of doing a separate movie for Akayo from Black Panther, and there's talks of doing a separate movie for Misty Knight, who was from Luke Cage. So if these things get built, and as if you've been watching on the CW Network, I believe it's in its last season, Black Lightning, there have been broad changes in terms of what being a Black female superhero is, that it's okay to be queer, that it's okay to... Uh, um, uh, be openly muscular. It's oh, um, what I applaud and appreciate is getting away from the stereotype that dark-skinned women cannot be the presentation. This has been a different embracing of what the future can be. So right now the future is bright and I hope it stays consistent. And I believe with my two colleagues, we'll be nerding along with the rest of this and looking forward to what the future is because it, it, it means something. It means something when my grandsons ask for, you know, can I have this doll and, and, they, and this action figure and they, and they come running up and it's Suri. 
And I'm like, yes, you can have two. You know, it's something. It means something because it changes how people think about women in society, how people think about Black women in society. So I'll leave it there. And if anybody has any questions for us, we will be happy to answer them. Um, just real quickly, just to follow up with Dr. Salisbury, Ms. Marvel is the Muslim character, Kamala Khan. This, I have that here. So I, as she was saying, I'm like, I have it all stacked behind me. But if anyone's interested in reading that, <laughs> it's, it's so I have the whole series of this. So just to follow Nerd. up. I am, and I'm sorry. Nerd. I got an encyclopedia, Marvel cycle. So I'm just showing everybody what, what's going on. <laughs> oh, okay, so I would be remiss if I didn't jump in here. This is the appropriate juncture, apparently. So just as a point of reference, following up with Dr. Dugan's example, this is Monica Rambeau. This is her action figure. Let me take off my virtual background. We're a nerd heaven right now, all of us. This is Monica Rambeau. <laughs> this is Misty Knight from Luke Cage. This is Vixen. She's been in a couple of different series. This is Storm. I've got boxes full. I love it. This is the year of the black woman to be sure, right? And so we have to exalt those, those images. I love what my sisters had to say, but I do want to show you one more thing because I am a nerd. Hopefully you can see <laughs> the black wall. That's, that's who I am. That's Black Panther for those who can't see it. I'll stop there, sorry. I got you beat Dr. Sandals. It's just, I'm not allowed to put up my mural size Shuri on the wall in this place I'm living in. <laughs> Dr. Sandals and I have a, a competition going on over who has the mostest. <laughs> well, any questions, comments? Love to hear them. Yes, thank you so much, um, Dr. Dr. Salisbury, Dr. Sandals and Dr. Dugan for that insightful discussion this afternoon. Um, we do have a couple of more minutes um, before we end to take any questions or any comments that anyone would like to ask. No. Oh, okay, so the so the, the teacher in me is going to pull information out of you. Right? I, I was raising your hand. Yeah, I was okay, raising my hand. Go for it. Go for it. You know what? I don't know where I've been hiding, but I didn't know there was that many um, black superhero, female superheroes. So I just wanted to, you know, it was a lesson learned today. Oh, we didn't even get started, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and if you <laughs> note the fact that uh, we didn't have to talk about Storm, because I believe all three of us love Storm, yeah. uh, but she's not the single focal point any longer, which is saying something uniquely. And we also left out one of the first live action superheroes, Yahura. Um, and I love to nod to Yahura during Black History Month because she wanted to quit uh, Star Trek after the first season. She thought the show was stupid. Um, she thought her role was limited. And the person of all people who told her she had to stay on the show was Dr. Martin Luther King. He told her that her representation, her presence on Star Trek meant everything. And she stayed on the show and it's become a, a life defining role for her. So you never know uh, what something you're doing is going to mean to the world. Okay, so I'm just going to task each of you with a really quick responsibility. If you could please just chat your favorite
female, black female superhero. So if you don't know of any, I've given you just a few references um, here. Again, we've got Storm, we've got Vixen, um, Monica Rambeau, among others. Just chat really quickly. I have a question while everybody's chat, um, chatting that information. Monica Rambeau, I'm, I'm new into Marvel. My daughter is all into Marvel and I'm watching this like with her eyes and I'm really having a good time with it. So WandaVision is kind of, for me, it started off kind of cuckoo. Like, what's going on with WandaVision? <laughs> and, you know, and she's like, we gotta watch it. So awesome. <laughs> watching it faithfully. And Wanda's in, in WandaVision. So there's a full backstory about um, um, Monica. Where do I go to understand that backstory about Monica? Understand her history, her origin. Yeah, and you said her mom was it her mom was the true superhero. They've taken a little liberty with the, the television series. The true source material doesn't doesn't begin that way. So I think um Dr. Dugan, I think, referenced Amazing Spider-Man. It was one of his annuals. Yeah. I think it was 82. I can't remember. Yeah. But but yeah. I have it. So you, if you'd like to borrow it, I'm willing to loan it to you. But that's her origin. It talks about how she gained her powers, where she comes from. She comes from Louisiana, I think it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, just a little she bit. She got her. her she got her powers because she was a. Um, wasn't she an officer like the Harbor Patrol? Harbor and, Patrol. And she yes. got exposed, yes. <laughs> and that's how she got her power. Which is, which I'm wondering what's going to look like in Wandavision because I think I have a completely different way of how they're going to say she she's getting her powers. And, and Tamar, another cool series that your daughter might like is Raising Dion on Netflix. And it's about a single mother raising her son who she realizes he has superpowers. That's right. I did see that intro. That came, That's new, isn't it, huh? It, it's, yeah, it's relatively new, but it's a good new Black series. Um, and Black Lightning is, is a single dad with his two Black superhero daughters. Um, that's another one. Um, okay. You know, there, there's all kinds of new ideas now because they're open to pitching. They're open to new imaginative ideas that are allowing these creative artists an opportunity. The bottom line is it's not that there aren't people available to do the work. It's the opportunity to do the work. And so that's what the difference is. So you're going to find all kinds of young women. One of the cool things, if you're watching Lovecraft Country, which is not for kids, uh, but in Lovecraft Country, the uh, the lead kid character is an artist who draws superhero comics and views her mom as a superhero. So that is a, is, that's how you get started. And that's how you get to watch something and it becomes your imagination. Um, uh, someone had a good question about Captain Marvel and why right, she why I was gonna, yeah. On to jump on that. Yeah, I, I just was looking to see that. So how can you say, it's like the Iron Man with Ironheart. Um, and I think it's different because we we have the the universe that's we're watching movies and now on television versus comic universe, right? And sometimes, like I believe Dr. Sandals said a few moments ago, they don't always align. But there are different, um, I don't want to say iterations, but there are different. You can have more than one person do that. So to be a to be a superhero character, and and that's why you know Tony Stark. 
is supportive of Riri becoming and not even being called Iron Man, right? Being called Iron Heart, but still have the same, you know, he's essentially helping her become that. Um, that's why I'm interested to see where WandaVision will go. I don't, I want to talk about it, but not spoil it for people because I think that's where it's going next. Um, because here's the other interesting point. Maria Rambo, and this will be good for, for Tamar to know, Maria Rambo was friends with Carol, Carol Danvers. So if you've seen the uh, Captain Marvel movie, that little girl is Monica Rambo, right? And Carol Danvers is her auntie, right? So you, there's these lineages, whether they're um, blood or through fictive kin, um, that that these characters become that next generation. I think that's what I also like to see is that generational aspect that gets passed down. So she's white in the first one because Captain Marvel is, but that lineage, you know, gets passed down. So I don't know if that answers your question. You kind of have to, to read it as well to see that, but that's why there's different representations. And, and I think the point that, you know, it seems like this is all new, like, oh, they're just putting black people into the, it's been long existent in print, right? Now everybody's catching on with this commercial success and it's, that's not neither good or bad, but just seeing like, now we can show these characters. I think another point um, related to Dr. Salisbury, I think is interesting is that, you know, getting writers like Roxane Gay or Tahanisi Coates writing the Black Panther, right? These are people who are writers. And so I think it's really interesting that, you know, that they're being tapped to write these characters and prevent, present narratives that are more representative. Eve Ewing's from Chicago, right? She knows what Chicago looks like. So she's drawing from her own experience and her observations as a sociologist to, to develop that character Riri in a more um, multi-dimensional way, right? And, and sort of saying like the traumatic black girl from the South side and she's dealing with a trauma and she's just hypersexualized. Eve, Dr. Ewing wiped that out and, and restructured mm -hmm. the story. So I think that I think that's an interesting aspect why we're seeing this and, and why the storylines are 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 you know really connecting with black people because there's multiple voices. And I want to say this for my students that are here and other folks that are present. If you really want to work to an anti-racist society, comics is one way to do that. Um, because number one, my grandsons who are six and nine years old were shocked to discover Spider-Man was white, okay? Because their exposure to Spider-Man was the Afro-Latinx Miles Morales. And so that's who they thought Spider-Man was. And then when I took them through and started sharing my Spider-Man stuff with them, that's when they learned like, wow, there's a generational history to this. And I will tell you as special homework as individuals, the power of Chadwick Boseman, of when he died and the pictures are out there of children of every gender and race holding their own morning vigils for Black Panther for Chadwick Boseman and how they process human death and how they process the death of their superhero. And race was not the issue. It was, this was our hero that they shared as a group of young people. And that's gonna be a unique group of individuals as Rhonda Dugan said, as Dr. Dugan said, that are going to remember when their hero died. They're gonna remember that. Like some of us remember when Tupac died and some people remember when JFK died or remembered when Martin Luther King died. Some of these children are going to remember 
Remember when Black Panther died? And it's going to be a source of sorrow, but a source of, of pride too, and a source of joy because they got enjoyment out of it. And so that's the importance of representation. And what got me was the little boy who had all his figures lined up in, right. in the Black I don't know if that's what you're gonna say, Dr. Sid, but he, you know, Black Panther was laying in breast and he had all his, his uh, figures around. That was the one that got me. Hey, and respect. He did the whole service right, with his figurines. I, I thought that was remarkable. And I know we're creeping up on time, but just for good measure, let me also please introduce Miles Morales because someone just spoke to him. Hey, that's my dude. And this is Spider Girl, who I know you can't really see very well, but she is a sister as well. I mean, bam. Bam. Here we go. Everywhere. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then lastly, lastly, this is Sam Wilson, um, the, the one we all previously have known as the Falcon. He became Captain America. America. Yeah. He is an amazing representation of Captain America. You see him struggling with being black and reconciling that with American values. And mm -hmm. to see that come through in comic books is just, it's cathartic. So anyway, another resource for those of you who are looking to get into comic books. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think I speak on behalf of everyone that attended the Brownback discussion. Thank you so much to you, Dr. Salisbury, Dr. Sandals, and Dr. Dugan for such an insightful discussion this afternoon. Uh, for the sake of time, I, I will not, um, I will email the uh, certificates of appreciation on behalf of the Brownback Committee, but thank you so much again for sharing your knowledge and experience with um, everyone today. And I want my hard copy, sir. I put mine on my wall. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as far as our guests, also thank you so much for joining our discussion today. Um, thank you so much for logging in and spending your afternoon with us. Uh, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. We have other Black History Month uh, events going on, so make sure to check out our flyer for more information. Um, if not, uh, have a wonderful day again. Happy Black History Month to you all. Thank you so much.